0: Everybody, welcome to episode 21 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. I'm here in my living room having a celebratory whiskey in honor of the 21st episode of this podcast. That's right, we are now legal. We are 21. On today's show, we have Christina Frost. That's right, Christina Frost. Her name sounds like she's a superhero. Or a villain, one or the other. I'll let you decide. We talk today to overachiever Christina Frost, who grew up in Michigan. Now she lives in San Francisco, working at an undisclosed tech company. I'm sure you won't have a very hard time figuring out which one it is. She was once the assistant director of the University of Michigan's Outdoor Adventure Program. She is the founder of Essential Explorer, and she is a budding filmmaker And that is why she is an overachiever. She does, did, does all of those things. We are now in 2016. So last summer, back in the ancient time of 2015, while I was traveling all over the western United States, I met up with her in San Francisco at her office. We talked about a bunch of stuff. So let's go listen to Christina talk about her outdoor history, her experience making her first film, getting into fly fishing, And how to handle a windless kite skiing trip.
1: I'm Christina Frost. just started getting into filmmaking because I'm inspired by getting more people outside and showing them that these sports that look very unattainable are indeed actually uh, very approachable. I've decided I'm going to make films and then I'm going to actually build a website that provides a, a community. So people can find each other, go outside together, and connect online, and then also learn the essential skills you need for any given sport that we will be supporting. But I have a day job. I work as a product designer in a tech company. Uh, The past year has been a culmination of, like, many light bulbs going on in my head. I'm going to make these films. They're going to inspire people. And instead of watching the film and being like, oh, that was really nice. I wish I could do that. You get the feeling of, fuck, yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) And, like... I'm going to go, I'm going to go to that website and I'm going to go sign up for like a fly fishing class because, because I can, because why not? It's right there in front of my face. And so that's kind of, that's me.
0: Let's go back a little bit then. So you mentioned fly fishing. I know you're also a hiker. So what kind of outdoor stuff are you into?
1: A lot. So that's the funny thing. Cause I always have a problem because my friends are like, so you're into camping now? I'm like, yeah, I'm into camping. I'm also into surfing. I like road biking.
0: Are you one of those that's into it just long enough to buy the gear so that you can fill your closet with thousands of dollars of gear and then move on to the next one?
1: So my closet is pretty full, but the thing is, it's kind of like a a cycle for me. Like I always like come back to it. So I took a long time off from camping and I was like, am I ever going to like go back into this? I don't know. But right now I'm in a camping phase, been leading a lot of informal trips with friends, just like, hey, I'm going to go up to Mount Lassen who wants to come. Here's the plan. What will you eat? What won't you eat? All right, I'll see you up there.
0: Well, the good thing about camping is you can mix it in with any of the others. It's true. Camping's often it's a an integral part of, hey, if we're going to go out and do this one thing four hours away, we may as yeah. well camp while we're there.
1: Yeah, I mean... I definitely have a fair amount of gear. I don't know when I get really into something, and I figured this out in high school. I can become really obsessed with something and fixated. And I really got into running, cross country running, long distance type of running. And I got to the point of like, oh, I have to go to bed at this time, and I have to eat this way, and like I can't see my friends, and like then at the end it's like, wait, why am I doing this?
0: So you're saying that you're OCD? Is that what I'm you're totally
1: OCD, <laughs> but I try to I try to be more balanced. That's why I like dabbling in sports instead of like being really good at one, because I find if I'm just really good at one, I'm not having any fun. And for me, the whole point of doing that to begin with was because I enjoyed it.
0: So you're a generalist.
1: I'm a big fan of being a generalist. And I think a lot of my mission for Essential Explorer, the program I'm working on, is, is all about owning that. Like It's okay to be a generalist and like just try a bunch of stuff and then you know if there's something that you're like this is awesome i need to do this more then you go that route and i think a lot of people are scared to just try a bunch of things because they're afraid of failing they're afraid of not being good at it or picking it up right away
0: it's it's interesting you should say that because i have a friend who we've tried to get to go with the surfing and other things before this is a statement he made he said well i i want to go surfing but first i want to get really good at it and it's it's like well, how do you get good at something that you don't do like the way you get good at surfing is you go surfing.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. You say that because I kind of did a lot of bodyboarding and surfing um, last year. Yeah, I was pretty. I'm still pretty bad at it, but I started to convince some of my friends to come with me, and there'd be days where like, oh, I just can't get up on the board, and I'm like, look, you just gotta like fall a lot put yourself out there and just fall and then eventually like after like the fifth fall you're going to stand and then you're going to stand and you're going to stand and I think you're right we need to show people like maybe not show people but whatever the word is convince people just to go out there and try it don't worry about being good at it yeah, just try that, and be on the water and like be out there and just have fun
0: i think it's often an ego thing and not a, not an ego thing in in a necessarily negative way but that that ego perspective where people are scared to look bad or dumb or incompetent. I get that because that's kind of why I got turned off from team sports as a kid because you'd be in PE class or something and those other kid, mm-hmm. there are other kids who are so into this basketball game yeah. in sixth grade PE class yeah. as if it's the most important thing in the world that they ruin it for everyone else who isn't good at it. And I think a lot of people worry that the same thing is going to happen to them if they mm-hmm. go try these things. I don't find that people are usually judging
1: you that way. Yeah. I can't really speak per se to the masculine side of things. I've been starting to lead trips with just women only, and it's a big difference. Most women don't have that big of egos, I would say. I mean, we have egos. I mean, I just went go-kart racing, and I made sure I was in the top five because I had to represent. But at the same time, I think there's something really special when you – And it's all, I think it's around expectations and setting them, like actually talking about expectations of like, hey, we're going to go surfing today. You know, some of us are like, have never gone before. Why don't you make it a goal of like, everyone has like a really small goal that they have to attain and it's not getting, uh, standing on a board and surfing. It's more like, hey, like let's practice like actually catching the wave, you know? And then, you know, maybe if you've caught a few waves, then You you try to stand up. I think really setting expectations and being like, hey, it's okay if you don't pick it up right away because we all learn at different speeds and we all learn differently.
0: This is the thing about surfing too. If you haven't done it before, just hanging out in the water on the board with buddies yakking and occasionally trying to catch a wave is pretty entertaining by itself. It's kind of nice. Water feels good. Sun's out. So even if you don't catch anything, you're still probably going to enjoy yourself.
1: I definitely agree with you. Sometimes I just go out in there and out in the water and I don't catch waves because I'm just like, I just want to sit here and float and like enjoy a good conversation. And, or
0: you might show up and there are no waves.
1: Or sometimes there are no waves. It's, it's kind of rough in the summer here in Pacifica and San Francisco. So I've been kind of jaded.
0: So let's rewind all the way back. When you were a kid, whatever. How did you start getting into these things? Where would you grow up?
1: So I think a lot of my formative years where I learned about the outdoors was when I was nine, I moved to a small town called Estro Beach. It's actually a beach association in a very small town called Newport, which is just outside of Monroe, close to Toledo, Ohio. Everyone knows Toledo, Ohio for some reason. So I'm from Michigan, small beach town right on Lake Erie. One of the Great Lakes.
0: Warm, warm water.
1: Warm, warm water. Yes. I mean, when it's summer. So it was fantastic. Literally, my backyard was Lake Erie. Like, I only stayed in my swimsuit, like, in the summer. and There wasn't really, like, actual clothes. You'd maybe put clothes on, like, on top of your swimsuit. But we were always, like, walking as far as we possibly could on the shoreline. And, like, not everything is a beach. You have to, like, walk on people's property and, like, trespass and... And we would do that kind of stuff. Um, And then we'd go to the beaches and like fall asleep and like get sunburned and then go swimming and be on a jet ski and be on a boat. So a lot of my time was spent in and on and around water, all four seasons. So for the summer, it was obviously being in the water or on a boat, some sort of watercraft. In the winter, you know, we were usually um, ice skating. I'm terrified of hockey pucks, so I would just watch hockey. But loved ice skating.
0: Wait, you're terrified of hockey pucks. I'm really
1: bad with hand-eye coordination and anything of like, I don't know.
0: But it's it's not like a
1: flying pucks. You don't have
0: like some sort of insane phobia. Not an insane. I just like you don't fall asleep and have nightmares about hockey (laughs) pucks. It's not like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes with hockey pucks or anything like that. I just prefer
1: not to play hockey because I know I'll I will get hurt by a puck or I will hurt someone else because I have terrible aim. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time um, snowmobiling. We would go up to, like, northern Michigan on the trails. It was beautiful and peaceful, besides the roaring of your sled. But it was still really nice.
0: So you probably have a pretty strong threshold against cold.
1: Used to until I moved to California. (laughs) I'm a big wuss now. It's quite bad. Well, you're in San
0: Francisco, though. If you moved even further south... It'd probably be pretty tough.
1: I don't know. I think I'd melt. Like, I can't handle any extreme temperatures now. It's really sad. I went to, like, Vancouver a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, my God, it's so hot. I think I might die. And then when I was in Banff, like, you know, last fall, it was freezing. I had to wear, like, three layers of clothes, and it was, like, not that. It was, like, 20 degrees. It was embarrassing. So I'm definitely, like, I have the California body no, for weather it's sad but yes i used to have a really good tolerance i could run i could go in like just running tights and like you know like a long sleep t-shirt for a run in 10 degree fahrenheit weather and be fine and a hat you want a hat
0: well that's very important
1: yeah you don't gloves it's too hot for gloves personally so
0: you grew up in michigan playing around in cold water cold snow lots War- and lots it's, of water
1: the water is warm compared to the ocean Pacific Ocean, I should say,
0: but probably not compared to the Atlantic, right?
1: I don't know. I've never really swam in warm what people quantify as warm water, which is probably a good thing. So, oh,
0: if you go into the Gulf of Mexico, you're looking at 70 80 degree. That
1: sounds water. really warm.
0: <laughs> it's like bath water.
1: Like when I first learned, I didn't learn how to surf first. I just got myself a boogie board and taught myself how to catch waves that way. I couldn't afford a wetsuit at the time, and so I just went without a wetsuit here in the Pacific Ocean, and people thought I was insane, but I was like, this is, what are you talking about? This is warm. <laughs> now, this, is, this is our
0: bath water in Michigan.
1: <laughs> but now it's, it is kind of cold, like, now. So yes, water, lots of water, heat,
0: so cold. So when did you leave Michigan?
1: I left Michigan in June 2010, I moved.
0: Oh, so you, you were there most of your life. I was
1: born and raised in Michigan. My family's from Michigan. Most of my family are in, are in the same place. Not many of my family members have a college education. There's just a handful of us. So while I had that exposure to being near you know, one of the Great Lakes and being outside, I never really learned anything about non-motorized sports and hiking and backpacking and stuff like that until college. None of my family was like, let's go for a hike. You know, that wasn't a thing until my my aunt married my uncle and he was really into um, multi-day canoe trips and like hiking and volunteering at the nature center to like help injured animals. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I was probably about 17 at the time and I was like, can I go on? your canoe trip sometime? And he's like, you'll never survive. And I was like, challenge accepted. And so...
0: And clearly you survived.
1: Oh, well, I didn't get to go on that trip, actually. But I was like, I'm going to show this man that I I can handle his trips. In college, I signed up for a three-week field sketching class. We had to like actually sketch, like, and paint the landscape we saw and animals. We we did that through going on backpacking trips and canoe trips and and doing like trail work for the National Park Service down in Big Bend National Park in Texas. That was really a, a big pivot point for me. I had never been backpacking for one. It was absolutely miserable because I, you know, when you're in college, you can't afford nice things, and so I had. <laughs> I'm a size small woman's backpacking frame, and I was using a men's external extra-large backpack.
0: Oh, it was an external frame pack?
1: And it was extra-large. It was so big and did not fit me.
0: Probably really heavy. It was
1: very heavy. We had to carry all of our water as well, so that was, I think, six liters of water each person plus everything we had. Yeah, we didn't We didn't do so well. We didn't pack enough food. That was not my fault. That was my professor's fault.
0: But you survived. I
1: survived. And the thing that like I remember the most was we didn't sleep in a tent. And that was the first time I'd ever slept outside, not in a tent. I was terrified because of scorpions. And I just remember, I was like, I have never seen this many stars before. This is what the night sky is supposed to look like. This is amazing. And I remember I saw five shooting stars that night. And I'm like, this happens every night. This this is a thing. Like people need to see this.
0: Well, especially now with satellites, you see shooting stars. They were real constantly. shooting stars.
1: They were not. We could tell satellites versus.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Stars. There are definitely lots of shooting stars also. But then also Do when they, you add the satellites yeah. in, it's just nonstop things yeah. flying through the sky.
1: So I had that that moment of like, wow. If I had the right gear, this wouldn't be miserable. And I I think I like this. And then we did the same thing. We had a canoe trip, and it rained the whole time, and it was completely miserable. But we made the best of it. Yeah, so that three week class just really changed my life and I had met someone at a leadership seminar right before school ended that summer and he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna work at Outdoor Adventures. It's the program at University of Michigan, it's amazing. And so I remembered after my three week trip in Texas, I'm like, Huh, I need I need to work at Outdoor Adventures. I think I wanna work there. I had obviously no skills. You know, they interviewed me, they gave me a job as HR. So basically I just like onboarded people and made sure their paperwork was filled out. But eventually what you could do there was be a part of their trip leader training program. Every Thursday night you'd have a skills class. It was either soft skills or hard skills. And so you talk about like how to deal like with groups or how to operate a backpacking stove Um, Or like how to read a map and compass.
0: So how did they break down what was a hard skill and what was a soft skill?
1: So a hard skill is anything that you're interacting with objects. So you have to read the map and deal with the compass. Or you have to build a fire. Or you have to like learn how to allocate enough food for your group. So that's all hard skills. Soft skills is all about interpersonal skills. Like if you're having conflict in your group between, you know, a few people... Or like trying to like, you know, make decisions if someone's injured, like what do you do? How do you have a conversation with someone who's feeling sad? That's like the psychology of things.
0: So one was kind of more the physical, the knowledge of the physical aspects and the other was the emotional and psychological aspects. Okay, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Did
1: that for a semester and then we had kind of like a capstone trip where all of the trip leaders who qualified would go out and test their, put their skills to the test. Man, it was really cold because it was like zero degrees. It was like a mix. It was like, if it wasn't raining, it was snowing. And if it wasn't snowing, it was raining. It was like one of those weekends. (laughs) But yeah, we had to sit like under a tarp and like talk about all this stuff and like prove our skills. Did you have to talk
0: about your feelings and play drums and things like that?
1: No, no, no drums. Maybe a little bit of feelings. I just remember like I was so cold and miserable and I was like, I have two choices. Christina, you have two choices right now. You can be pouty and cold. Or you can make the best of the situation and like run around and get warm and like just deal with
0: it. I've had that exact same moment on a six-day backpacking trip a few years back in Canada where we were hit with nonstop rain. We were wet for days straight. And I had to have that same click moment, which was you can either accept all of this and find a way to enjoy it, or you can make it worse by wallowing in it. And it made a huge difference.
1: It does especially when you're a, a trip leader. actually my first trip I led was awful if you think about like everything that went wrong did um, everybody live everyone lived a right, deer well, that's almost good. that's a success Almost did not
0: almost is fine almost doesn't count as long it was as they survive close.
1: We, we one of the vans crashed into a snowbank because a, a deer was like racing us essentially <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad um, but that was only one out of many things like. We wanted to go kite skiing, so I had this grand idea. I'm like, "Let's go kite skiing." We haven't led a kite skiing trip here at Outdoor Adventures.
0: Had you done kite skiing no. before?
1: No, never done kite. Did skiing. you have
0: any idea how to do kite skiing?
1: No, I'd even I've never even been on skis before. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, oh. so I remember I think it was like maybe that week or like within that month I had to teach. I had to, to learn and then teach people how to cross-country ski, and I had no clue what I... I never even like held a cross-country ski, let alone put them on my feet.
0: That's probably a pretty good way, though, because I find, personally, the, a way to get really good at something is to show other people how to do it.
1: It's true. If you can teach something, that's really... It really helps you.
0: It's just unfortunate if what you're teaching is incorrect.
1: <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it worked out. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. I probably took about fifteen pages of notes between like how to cross country ski.
0: And you're OCD, so you're probably (laughs) very, very detail oriented.
1: Very. I mean, I went to the University of Michigan. We're kind of, you know, we're high achievers there. We don't slack off. We cry if we get bad grades. And I, I mean, I have gotten bad grades, and I cried a lot. But Yes. We're, we are very detail oriented and I took many notes, but anyway, yeah, like it was, it really helped. And then I had the kite skiing trip as my first one. There was no wind. I just remember calling my, my manager was like, just, you know, make sure like there's gonna, what if there's no wind, like come up with a plan B. And so I called, you know, our outfitters in Northern Michigan. I'm like, look, like, what if there's no wind? He's like, there's always wind. Lesson number one, don't ever listen to these people because you can't predict the weather. So anyways, we get up there. Hey,
0: there are people that get paid to predict the weather.
1: They're, they I don't know.
0: necessarily do it, but they still get paid to do it.
1: I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> I, I'm not going to take a stance on meteorologists right now. But yeah, there was no wind. I think it worked out. We still like, you know, kite skied around. It was a really cool lake because people were ice fishing. And most of the The participants on my trip had never seen ice fishing, and I've seen ice fishing from Lake Erie, but I've never, like, went that close. Like, I'm I'm too afraid to go on the Great Lake. I'm not that crazy. But it was really cool because people could—participants could go up and, like, talk to the ice fishermen. There was curling, so we got to watch, like, a curling contest with the—I don't know, those— Big heavy things that they slide around the yeah, ice. Yeah, I have no
0: idea what they're called. They look like irons.
1: Yeah, I felt like we were in Canada. It was pretty cool.
0: Did you see a moose? No moose. Okay. Just
1: that's just that so deer that tried to kill us. But yeah, everything went wrong. But um, so there was no wind, and then they did tell me about these ice caves. We just did. We kind of like did everything very impromptu, and we just had a positive attitude. And thank God we had that positive attitude because you know we were leading like ten people. And if we were like in a bad mood, then their mood would also be bad. And it
0: just takes one person to be negative to bring down the whole group.
1: Yep. And so um, despite everything going wrong, I'm not going to go into it because that's like a three-hour story. We all had a really good time. Some of us, it was so cold, it was negative 15 Fahrenheit. We thought that we could get the fire going and it'd be warm enough, but we never got the fire really roaring. My fire building skills are not, they weren't that good back then. They're better now. It was very cold, and people were miserable, and I was like, all right, this is not cool. I need to get these people happy and warm. At one point, two of us stayed in the van and listened to NPR, Staying Warm?, she was like almost going to be in hypothermia. Did you
0: have to cut open anyone and slide people inside to warm them from the blood of a fallen enemy <laughs> uh, or comrade? No. No, it all well, worked that's out. That's good. That's a successful joke. there.
1: We chose uh, getting a motel room, shoving a bunch of people in, in a room, and then anyone else who wanted to, to um, still stay in the cabin – we gave them our spare sleeping bags so they would be extra warm.
0: Have you ever gone kite skiing when there was wind?
1: I have never gone kite skiing <laughs> to this day. So, but you
0: know all about how to do it.
1: Um, I only know how to like cross country ski. So after that kite skiing one, I was like, all right, well I'm never doing that again. So we decided to do we led a bunch of cross country ski trips, like weekends and like day trips and stuff. And I got really good at it. Actually, I'm like I used to be able to like. Go kind of downhill on cross country skis. And if you would have seen me on my first time on cross country skis going down a hill, I was so bad I would like squat down, like really squat down like four inches from the ground and and go down the hill. It was so bad. It was amazing. I
0: can't make fun of you because I'm a terrible skier and I, I don't even know what I look like when I'm skiing, but I'm sure it's hilarious.
1: It's all practice, remember.
0: I know I've seen the kids doing the pizza wedge thing, and I try to do that sometimes, and it doesn't usually work out very well.
1: Yeah, you don't do that in cross-country skiing. That would be a bad idea because you don't have metal edges. You want to try to stay parallel.
0: As you may have noticed, I've never been cross-country skiing.
1: It's okay. So maybe
0: I should join one of your groups, and you can take me out.
1: Cross-country skiing gets a really bad rap because people think it's boring, but it's actually quite fun Mm. and quite efficient if you're wanting to do a hut-to-hut trip snowshoes are much slower
0: oh yeah i'm sure you could cover a lot more ground on skis
1: yeah i had a friend that fell in a tree well which was really funny though imagine this like 260 pound burly canadian man with a 40 pound backpack on his back
0: did he fall upside down
1: um he kind of went kind of head first a little <laughs> bit yeah it was it was really you know it's like 10 30 at night it was like during was that 2011? We had a really great snow year here in the Sierras. We had like 12 feet of snow in Tahoe. That's where we were skiing. It was probably like a six-foot tree well, and a tree well is kind of where the snow builds up around the tree, and you kind of have like this big drop off. And he kind of like fell into the tree well. Was, was he scared to death? He he survived.
0: But was he was he really scared?
1: I think he was more mad. And frustrated at himself for not paying attention. But he was, I don't think he was scared.
0: Probably be pretty frightening being in a hole surrounded by collapsible snow.
1: Yeah. He made it out, yeah. though. That's good. Yeah. It's,
0: it's good to hear that people are surviving your trips.
1: That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a good thing. I think we manage risk pretty well.
0: <laughs> so let's move to a topic that I think is kind of interesting because I don't know many people that do this. And I don't know that I know any women personally that do this. You're in uh, fly fishing, correct?
1: I tried to be into fly fishing. It kind of goes with all of the sports that I do. Well, yeah. Um, Yeah, fly fishing.
0: How'd you get introduced to fly fishing?
1: Well, it's going to sound really, I don't know what the word is. It's going to sound silly. One of my heroes is Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. I own Many copies of his book, Let My People Go Surfing. I give them out for free.
0: You're the reason I've read that book, because you are a proselytizer for that book.
1: It's it's a good book. You know, I've seen some of his films. I've seen some of the work he's doing currently. Um, he, was, he really likes fly fishing, and I know nobody who fly fishes. Like, none of my family fly fishes. No one I know. But I saw him you know him and his films fly fishing and and in his book and it's like wow i bet i bet fly fishing is like really cool like i bet it's like meditative or something because you're like in the water one with the fish and one with the bugs and
0: and you get to wear really cool boots
1: you get to wear the boots and the waders I'm really scared of um, fish hooks though. So I was like, in theory, this sounds really awesome, but in practice, I'm not sure if I'm gonna like this.
0: You may have a hard time catching fish if you don't use fish hooks.
1: Yeah, I'm using fish hooks now. I still don't catch any fish. I have yet to actually catch a fish. So yeah, I saw that. I was inspired by Yvonne. I just remember being on a backpacking trip, so I still occasionally lead backpacking trips. My friend has a group called Trail Mavens. It's a women-only group, and you know any woman who's I assume 18 or older can sign up to go on a trip. It's based here in San Francisco. My first trip with her, I met a girl named Sarah. Sarah, you know, her father passed away recently, a couple years ago, and we got on the topic of fly fishing, and I was like, "Yeah." I want to learn how to fly fish, but I have no clue what to, how to go about it. And she's like, "Yeah, me too. My dad used to like fly fish, and now I want to learn." It's like, damn, I have no clue how to go about this. Then I, you know, I, I've been affiliated with um, the Banff Mountain Film Festival just because I've been volunteering, and I would learned about it when I worked at Outdoor Adventures at the University of Michigan. We used to host uh, the Banff Mountain Film Festival World Tour, so I'd been going up there and volunteering, and I had met one of the teachers of the adventure filmmaking workshop and so somehow I got in (laughs) because he's like you're a designer we could use different types of creative people and I'm like oh okay and so I just remember pitch day came around for this this workshop and I was like crap I don't know what I'm gonna pitch like I know I want to like make films about like people trying sports that they think are like not cool or unapproachable and so I was like okay think Christina what what films are we missing in? and what sports are we missing in, um, in, the, in the mainstream? I'm like, okay, well, women don't do road biking or mountain biking. And I was like, oh, right, fly fishing. We had talked about this with, some, with my friend Sarah. I'm going to pitch a film about, you know, three women learning how to fly fish for the first time. And it actually went over really well. And, like, still, I had never fly fished. But I was like, I'm going to pitch a film about fly fishing. So, so I did. That was in November... I kind of, like, lost some steam and motivation. And then back in probably late February, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to make a film about fly fishing. It needs to happen. And it was, you know, it was kind of like a motivation for me, too. Because I'm like, well, if I make this film, then maybe I'll actually go fly fishing. So
0: the way that you were able to finally try fly fishing is convincing yourself to make it even more complicated... By making a movie about it and having to get a bunch of people together to make it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to learn from an expert. You know, reached out to a friend that I'd met at the workshop. His name's Will. He does kayak angling, which means you fish from a kayak. He was like, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make this film. It's gonna be up about fly fishing. I'm gonna get three of my friends and we're gonna go fishing and someone's gonna teach us and we're gonna film it. And It's gonna be awesome. And he's like, I have someone I'm gonna introduce you to who's, a, you know, is a an angler. That's. A fisher person. <laughs> she's a woman, so I can't say fisherman. So you say
0: fisher woman?
1: They really like angler. She's really adamant about saying angler. All right. So she's an angler.
0: Gender neutral.
1: Gender neutral. And so we emailed back and forth and she's like, look, I'm a kayak angler. I am not a fly fishing person. However, I do know someone. And she's like, I have a, I have a different idea for a film. Let me know what you think, because I really want to be a part of it. And so she had pitched the idea of, like, let's bring, like, three women together that have different skill sets from the river and um, have them teach one another those skill sets, you know. And so she brings together the, the kayak fishing. Susan is a fly fishing guide. And then Samantha was our uh, kayak expedition guide. And that was important to me. I was like, I want it to be, like, kayak camping and fishing. And that's all I really knew. And I wanted people to and women to learn. From each other. And so that was like my premise. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Thanks for pitching your idea. Let's go with it. That's really how I started getting into it.
0: And you are finishing this up now, right?
1: Finishing it up, yeah. So we, we filmed um, four days in June, early June, which is crazy because I've never produced a film or directed or anything besides for the workshop.
0: Correction. You never had, now you have.
1: That's true. I never had, and now I have. And it was crazy because we really started pre-production in probably early March, and then started we, we filmed in the first weekend of June. And so that's like, what, maybe three months at the most? Yeah,
0: it is currently late July. When this goes live, it'll be later this year. Yeah. But at, at the time we were recording this, it is late July. It is actually... What, like a day or two away from being August?
1: Yep, it's uh, July 30th. Yeah, and so um, it went really well. We had, you know, people were concerned that we wouldn't have enough footage in four days of filming, but we actually have too much footage where we can't use a lot of it. But the good news is we want to repurpose it. We're going to be building out a website um, for all sports. We're starting, obviously, with fly fishing, but there'll be lots of components of little, like, tidbit lessons about how to hold your fly rod and, like, the basics of casting. But we are also making kind of, like, a what what we call a hero film. So a film that's, like, really um, inspiring and uplifting. And so that's the film that we're really working hard on right now to kind of showcase, like, These women getting out there, having fun, opening themselves up to new experiences, and also sharing their expertise with one another.
0: Well, did you find that fly fishing ended up being what you romanticized it to be, or do you still not know?
1: Yes. In May, I actually had my first time fly fishing. So right before the film, I had the opportunity to go up to Oregon. I'm part of this Fly Fisher Girls facebook group it's really cool because it's just women in fly fishing at all levels and i was like hey i'm coming up for a conference in portland i want to go fishing or i want to meet i want to meet some women i just want to talk to you guys you ladies and this one woman reached out on facebook and was like i'll take you fishing let's go fishing and so like how can you say no to someone who's going to teach you how to fly fish who's a professional guide and so i went out and it most certainly is a fair amount of what I what I thought. It's a very romanticized sport. So when I went fly fishing, I was very stressed out. I was just trying to launch this company. I was found out my grandma was sick back in Michigan and I did not get a lot of sleep. I really like sleep. And so going in and like learning something for the very first time with like all those stressors was like Oh my gosh, I was in a very bad mood the first like couple hours, very tired, and it was windy. My fish hook would get stuck in things. One thing that is a little less glamorous is, as a beginner, you tangle your line a lot. You have to learn patience. There's a lot of patience in fly fishing, and that was the one thing I... I knew there was some patience to it, but I didn't realize how much. Because you could like put your, your fly on your line, and you're like, okay, it's a red fly, put it on there. Fish don't want it. You're like, all right, I'm going to try my purple fly. Mm, fish don't want that. So it's like a lot of like guesswork, looking at the bugs that are like swimming around, untangling your fly. And then once I got in the groove, though, the wind died down. We found a new spot. I just remember all of a sudden it clicked. I was standing in the river in my waders. It was like really powerful. Like You can get knocked over by this river. So you have to like at least pay attention somewhat and have a, a good stance. And so I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, like, I don't have to think about my casting, I'm just doing it. And it's kind of like, it's like if you do yoga or some sort of meditative sport, um, meditation, or like maybe run or bike, I got in that groove. It was just, like I just it clicked, I was in that groove, and I was going, and then all of a sudden, I could hear the crickets, and I could hear the birds, and I could feel the sun on my face. And I was just looking at this giant rock wall. And like that was my life at that moment and nothing else existed. And I was like, this is powerful. To be able to melt all my worries away, this is really amazing. And I not only want it for myself, but I want other people to experience this and realize that fly fishing isn't, it's not a sport for old dudes. It's a sport for everyone. (laughs) Like everyone who's willing to get out there and, and try it. And now I understand why people do it. I haven't caught a fish, but when we were filming, (laughs) when we were filming for the fly fishing film, you know, one of the girls, Samantha, is like absolutely terrified of fish. She's our kayak expedition guy. She's like, I'm not going to touch that fish. When I catch a fish, I'm not touching it. And when we were at the casting pond, we had little itty bitty fish. They were like, I don't know, maybe six inches, little, tiny. She would not touch them.
0: I'm imagining her donning like, Those gloves you put on when you handle radioactive materials?
1: Oh, it was worse than that. She'd like hold her fly rod and kind of like run away and like the fish would drag on the grass. Like it was hilarious. That's that's
0: seasoning. She was seasoning the fish.
1: (laughs) It was awesome. But then when she caught her first real fish, all of a sudden, just like I had that that epiphany and like that moment where I just clicked, all of a sudden she was like, I caught a fish. Oh my gosh. It was kind of like seeing a baby, like your baby for the first time, or something. I don't have a baby, but I just imagine. If you have
0: a baby, it's not going to look like a fish.
1: It was a beautiful fish. by the way. <laughs> but she was like, oh, "Can I? Can I hold it?" She was just like, like all those worries went away, and she like didn't care that she had never held a fish before. And she's like, "Well, how do I hold it?" And oh my gosh, she was just so excited, and like seeing that that real moment was like, "This is why we do this," and it's so nice now because. She's had that, that experience and now her and Susan, I mean these women have never been out outside together. That's what's really special about this film. They've never they have connections but they'd never met before and Samantha and Susan now they lead trips together. She'd, she leads the ca- camping kayaking portion and, and Susan teaches everyone how to fish and it's just really wonderful that they, they found that that uh, symbiotic. You know, that partnership.
0: When are you going to have an edit completed?
1: We're hoping to have it edited by uh, August 12th, and we're hoping to premiere it at the Banff Mountain Film Festival. Um, Since this is my first film, I can't get my hopes too up, but last year there were 84 films at the Nine Day Film Festival, and only four films featured women.
0: We met in the Adventure Filmmakers Workshop last year. That's how we know each other. And they did point out to us that they need more films featuring women because they get so few.
1: Yeah, there aren't many role models in the um, in these these outdoor adventure films. Like, I really enjoy these crazy films about when you know when I, there is one, you know, women like climbing Mount Everest or dragging a sled around Antarctica for months. Like, that's really cool. But a lot of the people that watch these films when um, on the world tour for Banff that's not their day job. You know, they're not explorers by trade. They're teachers and engineers and bus drivers. and People have actual like careers. Not everyone can be an explorer and not everyone wants to be. So a lot of the stuff that I want to do for Banff is kind of start to pivot or kind of start a niche of films that, that inspire our audience, that, isn't part of the hardcore crew.
0: I think some people too probably hear like, who cares? What does it matter if they don't have more than four films with women in them? What is short-sighted about that is they're not realizing that there's a whole separate perspective that we're not getting. So the, there are stories to be told and there are stories that are being told, but they're, they're all being told from one perspective. And we're missing out mm-hmm. on a whole nother perspective. We don't even know what we're missing because yeah. we, we haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah, it's very true. I mean, it's interesting that we, when I say we, I mean like the Banff Mountain Film Festival, they they usually skew towards stories that are very epic and very like extreme. And in reality, you don't really have to be that extreme to, to get those same feelings. I mean, sure, it makes a good film, but I would hope the Banff Mountain Film Festival isn't just about pushing the limits and the extremes, but also making this community feel inclusive. Because I know when I go to Banff, I mean, everyone's very nice there, but I kind of feel not as like, not as cool because I'm not a hardcore explorer. I know most of them don't see me that way, but still, but you still feel it.
0: There's a very broad definition of exploration. I think most people think exploration, they think journey. They think amazing people go to crazy outlandish, amazing place, and then you follow their path. But there are other types of exploration. There's internal exploration. Yep. You can you can watch a movie about some awesome guys going doing some awesome thing. And if there isn't some sort of internal journey in there and some sort of internal exploration, yep. you get bored really quickly.
1: Yeah, there were some films like that.
0: <laughs> there certainly I was were. like,
1: that's cool, but there's no struggle internally.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so I think there's plenty of opportunity to tell stories. And I think they want those stories also.
1: I, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because the Banff Mountain Film Festival is run by pretty much women.
0: That is true.
1: So, fun fact. (laughs) Um, And they're amazing women. I love them. So I really hope hope we do get into the festival and I hope we can produce more films. It's hard because what I want to do isn't necessarily being a production house. But since there isn't enough inspiration out there to give specifically women a kick in the pants to try these things... I feel like I have to go and invent the wheel right now. I think we're we're all on a good trajectory. There are a lot of women getting out there and doing films. Um, there's a new film festival called the No Man's Land Film Festival based in Colorado this year in September. And it's like a mix of films all about women, just women. And it's just so rad that they're doing it. And they're doing it in a, in a very unapologetic way. I don't know. It's just like, we're going to do this for ourselves. And I'm really glad that people are starting to do that. I went to this event; it was a conference called Structure Event in Portland in May. It's all about like out, the outdoor apparel industry. Main the main theme that kept coming back was like we are not we're being very exclusive. We're only catering our you know in designing our stuff for these people that are very extreme in these sports. But if you like open your eyes, there's all these people that want to be a part of this community. And we could be designing stuff for them, too. And so it was really nice to hear that. And now you see a lot of of outdoor brands that are doing a lot of lifestyle stuff. As a woman, you'll see most women, at least here in California, hiking in yoga pants. And it's not because they don't want hiking pants. It's because hiking pants are fucking ugly. They're ugly. They make you look like a 40-year-old mom. Come
0: on, you don't like the ones with the little zipper above your knee I, so you can remove the little portion of your...
1: I have unzippable pants. I do wear them, but I don't feel confident in them.
0: I have some too, and I look like a complete dork, but they're functional.
1: Yeah, exactly. But there's this group of people in the world that are like, I want to feel confident. And part of that is like looking good and feeling good. So
0: here's an idea. Yoga pants that have a zipper above the knee so you can remove the lower portion of the leg.
1: You'd probably sell more of them. (laughs) Done. You could get a little pouch pocket on there too. Yeah,
0: that's another thing women's clothing is missing. Pockets. Yoga pants with unzippable lower legs with pockets.
1: That's what we need.
0: This may be a million dollar idea.
1: Oh, billion. What are you talking about?
0: (laughs) So you said you don't just want to be a filmmaker. That's what you said earlier. But you're not. You also are part of an organization. So tell us about that.
1: Um, The organization I'm trying to build? Yes. Okay.
0: Unless you're afraid to share it with the public.
1: Oh, no. Totally, totally open. I'm not a big fan of secrecy.
0: Although you won't mention where we are right now. You just said that it's a tech company.
1: Well, I don't like to brag, okay? No, it's fine. It's I have fine. humble roots. No, I think for me, like, since I'm a product designer, it's all about really understanding your user. And so if you're trying to understand your user, you can't try to build something in a silo. I'm always trying to iterate on my company. I call it an initiative because people, when you say, I'm trying to build a company, they're like, you must be rich. No, I'm just bleeding out money is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to build a dream that I think is really important for the rest of the world, should they want to be a part of it. Should they want to be a part of it, I need to ask them and let them know what the heck I'm doing. you know. And so this initiative is called Essential Explorer. I haven't found like a 20-second elevator pitch for it, but our tagline... Well,
0: you have 20 seconds right now. I know. Figure it out.
1: Shoot. So our tagline is actually Adventure Basics for Women by Women. So you can just imagine, like, you learn all this the essentials of any sport that Essential Explorer has on their website. You can watch inspirational films, you can watch educational little videos, like 30 seconds of how to hold your fly rod, how to change... Your bicycle tire, you know how to think about catching a wave, stuff like that. You have your video component, but then you also have a way to connect locally with groups that do go outside. You know, my like I said, my friend has Trail Mavens, and she takes women out on trips. You pay one hundred to three hundred dollars to go on a weekend getaway. And she provides everything, and she teaches you skills, outdoor skills. So I want to be able to help women find those nationwide, and eventually worldwide. And then not only you know connecting them to those programs, but also having that opportunity to to meet up with other people that are trying to learn these sports, because you know as we know, practice um, really helps you to get better at these things if you choose to do it more. I know for me, I really got into long distance road biking and I got lonely. I got demotivated because well, I got injured. I didn't really have a group of people to hang out with on a bike. I basically had one guy friend who was willing to hang out with me. You know, I just missed having some sort of like camaraderie, a bigger group. And so I want to be able to like connect women with other women who are like at their same level. Like there are a lot of biking clubs out here in San Francisco. Biking is a big thing, but I don't want my life to be biking, but I really enjoy going for a 60-mile ride or an 80-mile ride. Maybe I'm I'm special. There's just something great about about doing that and I'd like to share that more with other women and and I know other women want to do it. They just they're they're scared or they don't know anyone. You know, there's a lot of people that go out and do SoulCycle, which is like an indoor cycling class, and I'm just like, "Oh, you guys could be on a bike and learning so many skills besides exercise." It could be, like, learning how to, like, handle your bike and balance and, like, learning how to, like, eat your, like, cliff bar while riding your bike. Like, it's, it's hard if you're not used to a tiny little, like, road bike. Learning traffic laws, like, it's, it's really different. And then the sights you see, I mean, wildlife and the ocean and all that. So I just wanted to provide the opportunity for, for women to connect with other women who want to learn these things. It's just, that's what I'm doing. Hopefully we'll work with brands and, you know, work with local outfitters uh, to do day events too. So you can imagine like a free day of learning how to fly fish or a day hike, Um, or maybe we do like a... Let's get together and have like a camp stove potluck where we all learn how to like cook on a camp stove. So I'm
0: sure there are people who want to get involved in this. How do they contact you? Is there a website they should go to? How how can they get involved with this organization you're building?
1: Yeah. So right now we're looking for guides, outdoor educators, outfitters, brands, and also participants. You know, the, the enthusiasts that want to learn these things. You can visit our website at EssentialExplorer.com. We also have a pretty active Facebook page, just Facebook.com forward slash Essential Explorer. You know, we're always posting stuff. You can also email me, info at EssentialExplorer.com. But I'm always looking for people to to be a part of this. You know, it's not, this isn't this isn't for me, it's for everyone. It's really important to, to work together because I feel like we're all so siloed. We all want to get pe- more people outside, but... We need to work together, and luckily I have the skill set of mass scale working in software design. So um, I want to bring everyone together. All right,
0: that's probably a good place to wrap this up. So you've mentioned your website. Is Are there any other places people should go to keep up with you, keep up with what you're doing, find out about your film when it's ready?
1: Just check the Facebook, check the, um, the web page com. we're actually going through a whole rebranding which is really exciting Um, and we'll start to post a lot more about the film on there we haven't been posting much just because we've been in production for the film but now we're we're also on oh we're also on instagram we like instagram it's uh just essential explorer one word
0: well i think that wraps us up cool all right Thanks thanks for having me look at that almost an hour some good whiskey 21 21 people 21 update time you may not see Christina's first film that is because she has decided to give it a recut so she is in the process of doing that now I will let you know on a future episode when that is available to view by the public she is also currently revamping the essential explorer website so if you go there right now all you will see is a typing cat picture maybe that's good enough reason to go But if you wanted to go for all of the content, you will need to wait a little bit longer. I can also let you know about that when the site is relaunched. In the meantime, head on over to gogetoutside.com slash podcast and check out the show notes for this, the 21st episode of the podcast. There you will find photos of Christina Frost outside and a bunch of links. Links to Trail Mavens, No Man's Land Film Festival the Essential Explorer website where you can see that typing cat if that's what you'd really like to see. But do not worry. You can get your Essential Explorer fix at the Facebook and Instagram pages. There will also be a link to Von Chouinard's Let My People Go Surfing book that Christina wants everyone on earth to read. You don't want to let her down, do you? Go read that book. Go buy that book. If you know her, she'll probably give you a free copy. She apparently buys lots and lots and lots of copies of that book. Von Chouinard, you owe her. <sighs> Want to get in touch with the show? Want to go have a celebratory whiskey with me somewhere? I know how you can make that happen. You can contact us. Go at butcherbirdstudios.com I do personally respond to every single email that I receive. Today, I found a message in my spam folder and had almost deleted it. So, if you have emailed the show and not heard back from me in a timely manner, send it again. It may have gone into my spam filter. I promise you. If you email me, I will respond. But hey, you don't have to email us. You could call us. You could use a telephone machine, one of mankind's favorite devices. And how can you call us? Well, you can lift that telephone machine and use your finger and press these buttons. 818 06. That's not going to reach me. That's not going to reach the rest of Butcher Bird Studios, but what it will reach is the Go Get Outside Google voicemail. You'll have a whole three minutes to say whatever the hell you want. Maybe you just want to call us and let us listen to you drink different alcohols. That's cool. You could do that. And everybody knows what time it is now. It's the time where I beg you, plead with you, go to iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you use to consume this podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. I have a random question for all you listeners out there. For those of you who, like me, subscribe to Rock and Ice Magazine, which, by the way, if you don't know what Rock and Ice Magazine is, I would say it is the best rock climbing magazine there is, but maybe there's a better one out there who wants to sponsor the show, so I'll just say it's a fantastic rock climbing magazine. Anyone else out there who's a subscriber to Rock and Ice Magazine, send me an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com, let me know if you experience the same thing I do. It is rare that I receive an issue in the mail that has not been destroyed. Today, my issue came in. It's in better shape than usual, but it's it's wet. Sure, it's been raining, but it is way more wet than I expect it to be. Usually, it comes in and half the covers ripped off, or maybe a corner looks like it's been eaten by a dog. I don't know what happens to my Rock and Ice magazine that doesn't happen to my other magazines. But something happens to that magazine in the mail. I want to know if anyone else is experiencing that. Go at ButcherBirdStudios.com. Let me know. These are the important issues that will be covered by this podcast. Next week, the very last episode of the first season. That's right. Next week will be the final episode of the season. And who will be on that episode? The one, the only, Dr. Tommy Day. He's going to tell you all about cycling fly fishing filmmaking photography cycle cross kiteboarding and what it's like to wake up in your house with me sleeping on your couch waiting to escort you into a wet cold canyon with a video camera next week dr tommy day See you then.